from Relevant Magazine and RelevantMagazine.com. It's the Relevant Podcast. It's the week of December 17th, 2010, and this is The Relevant Podcast. Merry Christmas, everyone. It's our special uh, end of the year, best of 2010 edition. What we're going to do is we've broken the podcast up into four chapters. Each chapter is going to have uh, a couple of songs and a couple of interviews uh, from this year. It's 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 our favorite moments uh, it was very difficult for Chad to pull all this together. Chad, by the way, I saw your tweet while yeah. you were working on this. How did you decide? I mean, we had to have had a hundred or more uh, special you know, guests come through the studio. There was quite a lot. I went through and I, I, I kind of started uh, a master list and then I narrowed it down and then I narrowed it down again. And then I had to take everything that I narrowed down that I decided would be in the podcast. So if it was like a 15 minute interview, I had to cut it down to about four or five minutes. Well, so... The, the good news is that I didn't edit any of the songs. So all oh, verses and choruses are still intact. Nice. <laughs> so, so you didn't remix them? No, I did not. Uh, so if a guest came through this year and performed or, <laughs> or talked to us for an interview <laughs> and they are not on this edition, oops. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. We still appreciate you. Coming up in this first chapter, you're going to hear Gunger performing Beautiful Things. Then we talked to the Gregory Brothers uh, that originally aired on March 19th. The Gregory Brothers are the guys behind Autotune the News, and we actually covered them in the magazine as well back in March. And I just read that Autotune the News' song of the, um, the, the ghetto robbery yeah. was the most watched video of the year. 55 million views Jeez. on YouTube. Wow. And the song was so popular, it's now for sale on iTunes. These guys, uh, it was a fascinating interview. It had also appeared in the magazine. These guys are um, uh, live up in Brooklyn. They're actually part of the church where Welcome Wagon uh, is a pastor. And, and they're part of kind of in the periphery of the Sufjan world, right? Yeah. They, um, they all go to the same church together. They hang out together. They record a lot of stuff together. And uh, it's interesting because you've got the auto tune the news side, and then you've got that other folky yeah, kind of acoustic folk sound. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Uh, after that, you'll hear Love Drug. Uh, the song is We Were Owls. It's from the July 9th podcast. Then there's an interview with filmmaker Davis Guggenheim from the February 5th edition. Uh, he was interviewed by Josh Loveless, the filmmaker behind Waiting for Superman, It Might Get Loud, and Inconvenient Truth. Fascinating conversation. Favorite conversation of the year for easy, me. Easy, well, and we only played 20 minutes here on the podcast. Yeah. That thing went way longer and was the whole thing was fascinating. Like, I kind of wish we could have put it in two parts. But, yeah. So not only are you not going to hear both of the, the full interview, you're only <laughs> going to hear a little tiny section of what we actually ran. So that's it for chapter one. Here is Gunger with Beautiful Things.
wonder if I'll ever find my way. I wonder if my life could really change at all. All this earth, could all that is lost ever be found? Could a garden come up from this ground? You make beautiful things You make beautiful things Out of the dust You make beautiful things You make beautiful things Out of Springing up from this old ground Out of chaos life is being found in you You make beautiful things You make beautiful things out of the dark
obviously, like, I want to talk to you guys about auto-tune the news, too, because that's really something that's blown up. Um, I guess I'm just kind of curious, like, where that started. I mean, I know, Michael, that you had, um, like, that was kind of your baby at first, but then how did that expand to kind of envelop all of you? Um, so I was interning at a studio in Midtown, and really late at night after, uh, after the rappers and upcoming up-and-coming divas went home <laughs> i would just stay in the studio and work on some parody project mm-hmm. and i you know i brought i bought this green sheet from the fabric store a really crude green screen mm-hmm. and when the debates were coming up i thought it'd be funny to just reimagine the debates as a musical yeah the, the campaign debates from 2008 okay and so the first one i did was of course obama uh, mccain and I just wrote a song around it before it happened so that I could edit it all that night. Mm-hmm. Because uh, in YouTube, if, if nobody knows who you are, you have to do something fast and respond immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, like, people have to title their videos in all caps, like Lady Gaga, Twilight, Kanye, Parody. Right. Uh, people to notice it. And so I struggled to, like, put it out that same night and got lucky and somebody, like, posted it on HuffPost. So the, the reason that led to the auto-tuning is that Evan was like, oh, you, you got to follow this up. Um, and then maybe you can have like some kind of series going. And but we didn't want to just like do the same thing. Oh, just write another canned song debate. And the next debate, of course, was Palin and Biden. And so we thought we'd switch it up and have them involved in the song instead of just one person singing. And I've been in the studio so much, uh, auto tuning bad singers and good singers that just wanted the effect. I'd I'd grown accustomed to how powerful the effect was. <laughs> And I, I knew that it was possible uh, if the speakers were good enough, and Palin and Biden were both right. So uh, it just went from there. I mean, eventually we I made it into auditing the news just because that way it could be episodic. We could always take whatever current events are happening without them uh, necessarily having to all be related mm-hmm. or from event like a speech or a debate. And when it blew up, I uh, everyone else got involved because I mean I, I knew. There was going to be a hunger for it that I just I couldn't satisfy, you know, by myself writing all the beats and all the jokes. And that we we have a we share our sensibilities and our humor. And I knew that we could just write better jokes together. It's probably the only thing that they're ever going to agree on. But that it was a central war on terror is in Iraq. Your response: Pakistan. That's where they live. That's where they are. Next question: How bad are we ever going to bring our homies back? We're getting closer and closer to victory, and it would be a travesty if we quit now in Iraq. We will end this war. John McCain is saying that Susan and she has got along with each other. John McCain has been dead wrong. Drill, baby, drill. So kind of describe the timing. So there was the debates, and then, like, when did it, when did it, like, really explode where, you know, you're actually getting calls from Jimmy Kimmel and everything? Uh, so in between the debate, which, of course, uh, ended... Uh, in October mm-hmm. 2008, and when it exploded, which was in April, um, I, I had actually done some similar videos where it wasn't auto to the news yet, but I did freelance projects with Fairly Political and Obama Girl, where sometimes I, I when we did the Obama Girl song with President Obama, I thought it was going to become a meme then, just because she's already like a YouTube star and has right. done the crush on Obama song. And it got a lot of hits. Uh, it probably has more than two million. But for some reason, it just didn't. Uh, it didn't spread like wildfire yet. And then all of a sudden, when we did, I think we got to the news number two. That was in April. It blew up, and that's when we were getting calls from 
TV network and uh, would be, you know, late night shows and would be shady managers. <laughs> hey, I saw your guys' videos online. They're so good. Could you auto tune my wedding? <laughs> All right, a lot of there, there is just kind of a flood of emails, and then every once in a while, you know, you would get an email from e paint people, mm -hmm. and you would get and more emails from people wanting you to auto tune their birthday. Go We were just seventeen, all alone. We had our hands in the gutter, but our hearts in the warm cloud.
can see it that you're ready to go Like a bat in the cave of my soul We had nothing but the blood on our hands We were sitting but we're willing to stand We were hours barely escaping the day I'm not a moment and we give it away I know you spent a couple of days with each of the guys to uh, to interview them and to capture uh, capture their stories and uh, and I'm just curious how even as someone as a filmmaker how do you sit with someone let's just say like like Jimmy Page for two days asking him questions and and digging through uh, you know the closets of his own story how do you gently bring their own stories to the light and to the surface without scaring them away. It's funny, my, my father made documentary films and I sort of I worked, I started working for him at a very young age and at a certain point, I think I was like 17 or 18 I got to do my first interview hmm. and I was very excited and he said, you know you should go do this, I can't, I wish you and, and, I, and, and so I was very excited and I stayed up all night and I made a list of all the questions I would ask hmm. And uh, next morning, I proudly presented my list in front of him. Here are my questions. What do you think? And he looked at them very carefully, read them all through, and he goes, I only have one piece of advice from you, for you. And it's the only piece of advice he ever gave me. And I said, what's the piece of advice? He goes, don't have any questions. Wow. And, of course, if you're doing an interview, you, you have to ask questions. But what he's saying is that laying out a grand design for all the things you want to ask almost kills the idea of what a great interview is. A great interview, you know, comes from a sort of a conversation. And, and you know, you could go in and think, I want to talk to Jimmy Page about the fourth album. And you find out you're talking about skiffle players, you know, in, you know, uh, in, in West Side of London. Yeah. And that conversation can lead to this, can lead to that. And, and somehow, on its own, ends up in the most profound place you you never imagined. And if you keep asking questions that are on your list, you are certain never to get there because each question sort of yanks you out of that 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 spontaneity yanks you out of that path. Um, and so that's what the that's that's what, what the unique thing about this movie was is that I uh, by design I sat in the room with Jimmy for 2 days without a crew, just me and him. And we had and just recording sound, and, and I had no questions. Hmm. I'd read a lot about him just so I was informed, but I didn't have a pad of paper with me. It was more about what is, what's, what's and, and, when, and, and the whole process was what, what is, what, how do I go deeper and deeper inside of Jimmy's head at that moment in those two days? Hmm. And you know, if I had interviewed him two years earlier, or 10 years earlier, the conversation would have been completely different, and that would have been fine. But what was important is that it got to these profound places that it could only have gotten if we were just two guys wandering and having a conversation. I think when people think of Hollywood, I think they, they typically think of people that, you know, maybe want to tell, you know, some some story that, that is important to them, but really is about some 
uh, you know, financial motivation or artistic motivation that doesn't feel deep in some way. Uh, it feels like playing a game uh, in some way. But documentaries, and specifically the ones you've chosen to get involved with, why why do you feel like you have to make movies that matter, that mean something, that that stir people to to actually think about something from a different perspective? Well, I don't have to. Um, the last movie was at Market Loud, and that was not that kind of movie. And you know, I don't want to keep making the same movie. But when I see an issue that you can tell a good story about, that's the best. The experience, you know, the experience of making me truth was the most incredible experience I've ever had, and because people loved the movie, and it, it actually changed how congressmen voted, and it changed how people behaved, and it woke people up, and it and people really removed by it and that's not you know you can't ask for anything better than that and, and I'm hoping that's going to happen with this public education documentary but it's not like I have to do it or I have a special motive for it it's, it's what's so exciting about it. it's what, what what keeps me up every night uh, you know what if I can what if I can make a movie that'll that'll that'll, that'll actually fix this thing or help fix this thing this relevant podcast is brought to you by the drops like stars tour dvd the newest film by rob bell you can learn more about the endlessly complex relationship between suffering and creativity with drops like stars for more info visit robbell.com we're gliding along to the song of a wintry fairy land our cheeks are nice and rosy and comfy cozy are we you're listening to Reliant K. The song is Sleigh Ride. Makes me want to have a hot chocolate. Here in Chapter 2, you're going to hear an interview with the Civil Wars uh, audio spotlight we did on them back in September. They're, they're one of our favorite groups. Uh, they have an EP that's out now called Poison and Wine, which you need to get. But that song, Poison and Wine, actually appears on their full-length debut, which is coming out February 1st in 2011. We have a copy here. And I have to say, right now, it is one of the best albums of 2011. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> I was telling my wife the other day my top 10 albums of 2010, and she said, Civil Wars isn't on it? Because we've been listening to it for the past two months. Yeah. And I said, no, it hasn't come out officially yet. I said, but I can pretty much guarantee you it's going to be in the top 10 of 2011. Yeah, I don't care what else comes out. No. It's on the top 10. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So we introduced you guys to the Civil Wars. After that, you're going to hear uh, a live performance by Ives the Band. The song is called The Ringleader, back from the November 19th podcast. After that, you'll hear uh, part of the interview with Randall Wallace that our editorial director, Roxy Weeman, uh, did on our October 15th podcast. He's a, a songwriter, screenwriter, producer, uh, and he was the guy who wrote the screenplay for Braveheart. His other films have been The Man in the Iron Mask, Pearl Harbor, We Were Soldiers, and now this year, Secretariat, which is why we talked to him. You know, just little indie flicks. His films haven't done too bad. Yeah. They've grossed about a billion dollars. Yeah, almost a billion dollars, literally. Jeez. So that's coming up. But up first, you're about to hear the live in-studio performance by John Mark McMillan singing Death in His Grave from our October 8th podcast. Here it is.
blood Satisfied her hunger was Billows calling on raging seas For the souls of men she craved Sun and moon from balcony Turned their head in disbelief Their precious love would taste the steam Disfigured and disdained On Friday a thief On Sunday a king down in grief, but I woke with the keys to hell on that day. Firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid death in his grave. Oh, 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 oh. oh. So three days in darkness left The morning sun of righteousness Burrows to shame, throws dead And overturned his rule Now daughters and the sons of men pay not their dues again The debt of blood they owed was rent When the day rolled anew On Friday a thief Sunday a king Weighed down in grief But awoke with the keys To hell on that day Firstborn of the slain The man Jesus Christ laid Death in his grave Oh, oh, oh Okay, well, just for a little history on you guys, I know you met at a songwriting camp in Nashville. Um, what was it that drew you to working together and made you actually decide, like, hey, we want to 
make this something? Well, uh, for me, and Joy and I have definitely talked about the moment uh, a million times between us, is that when just the first time our voices um, sounded out together in the room, it was kind of, it was a weird, like, pinch me kind of moment. Like, it was, uh, I'd, I'd never had that kind of marriage between two voices before in, 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 my, in my days, so... Uh, we both kind of felt like, wow, that's that's interesting. That's unique. I've never never felt that before. And so we, uh, I think the you know the origins of it were right there in that you know first sight kind of thing. But I think yeah. it took several months before we um, actively thought that there was a, a way to maybe build on that or to kind of continue to pursue mm-hmm. um, the idea of the blending of the of the voices together. And I think that for me, it was, I remember particularly after the songwriting camp, us getting back together, how many months? No, four or five months. Four or five months after oh, wow. that and writing um, another song together and just sort of the blend uh, continued to stay. It wasn't sort of a, a blue moon type of experience. Right. So, yeah, and on top of that, I mean, we always talk about the, the blending of the voices, and that's a huge part of it. But on top of that, uh, the melding of ideas that we have, you know, we have different viewpoints on 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 things, being from totally different you know, backgrounds. Ge- backgrounds and geographical areas. But, right. But yet, there's a common thread to all of it too, and and the type of music that was coming out of us was something that. Um, it's kind of hard to explain from our disparate backgrounds that this kind of thing comes out of it. So yeah, we just felt like we were obliged to keep going with it. I mean, it was just like there was there was no way to stop doing it and see where it led to, and and uh, here we are. the transition from pretty solid solo careers on both of your behalf um, has it been difficult to make that transition into doing this project together? Yeah, because John Paul's just such a diva it makes it really difficult <laughs> to get done. Well, you know, I shine so much on stage, it's really hard for her to show up like, people don't even really realize she's there so I wear black so that it kind of dulls it down That's really sweet of you <laughs> Uh, I think it's actually what's odd about it is the fact yet another odd thing about it um, and by odd I mean sort of fortuitous is the fact that while we do each come from solo backgrounds that somehow the the joining of the two musically just makes sense so it feels more fluid than most things I've I've ever done musically yeah Yeah. it's actually really um, and the the live aspect of it for me is the joy because you know as a solo artist it's you everything is on you the spotlight's on you you carry all the banter you you know you you lead the parade and and with this there's a give and take that never would have expected being able to have with somebody on stage that 
I've been in bands, you know, a lot during my youth, but I just, it was always, you know, five different perspectives and right. five different forces pulling typically never in the same way. And, and this feels, I mean, it, it's like we're 200% of what it could be as a solo artist.
us fiercely, rejoicing in his strength. Then charges into the fray, afraid of nothing. Um, I was looking at, you know, just looking at your resume and thinking about the movies you've done, and they're all very different, from Braveheart to Pearl Harbor to We Are Soldiers. Um, what what draws you to a movie or a script? Is it the story, the characters, some ultimate sense of, of moral? I look for stories that that make me feel more alive and more connected to what matters. And I believe that the only story that I can tell that will move other people is a story that moves me. So uh, while all the, the movies that I've made are different, uh, they all have a common thread of courage and honor and, uh, and faith. Well, Mr. Lauren, what do you think? I think he eats too much. He lays against the back of that starting gate like he's in the Caribbean. Secretariat is not afraid, and neither am I. Horse racing is unforgiving for housewives. It's like every other multi-million dollar gamble we housewives make every day. <laughs> All right, then. Let's show them what you're made of. Can you kind of just talk about, like, how faith drives your art and how you... Um, just how what you believe contributes to the stories you do? Yeah, um, I take the word faith literally, that it is about uh, acting in the absence of knowing. It's about responding to um, a call that um, you don't hear with your senses, but you hear with your heart. And therefore, my movies aren't about my understanding. They're not about my own individual doctrines because I understand those uh, in different ways in d- different times in my life. But the unchangeable thing is that I believe that there is a God and that God made us to love and that we love God best when we're loving each other. And that is the, um, that's the way I understand my faith, and it's the way I try to live my life. We're out of time. We need six million dollars. We just lost a race that we could not afford to lose. You're guaranteeing that this horse is gonna win the Triple Crown. Three races, three states, in just five weeks. Hasn't been done in 25 years. You're that stubborn. I'm that right. She scares me. Good. How do you see that kind of coming out in your films or in in the movies that you choose to work on? Um, Well, I believe that each of us gets confronted with the question of how we are going to live our lives. And we learn that the question of why we are going to live our lives is a question of how we're going to live our lives. And, you know, we, we can't answer the question of how unless we answer the question of why. And that assertion, uh, an assertion of faith, not an assertion of science, but the assertion of faith that we have been created for the sole and the eternal purpose of love gives me the why 
and I I like stories in which characters are confronting the why uh, of any action that they take. Uh, so, in the case of Secretariat, it's not enough that the woman owns a racehorse and wants to win races. That in itself does not interest me. What does interest me is what does it matter that she has a racehorse? Why does she want to see this horse run? What does that affirm? Why should we care? Why do I care? Uh, so when I got involved with the story, I wanted to explore what those answers were in her life. Why would she risk uh, everything to let this horse run? Was it selfish or was it something victorious, something that she would, in a, in a, a way of lasting value? Was she giving her family something they would always have? Was she giving the world something that would inspire them? Or was she just one more person trying to gain money and attention and things that, that would fade? So the, those were crucial aspects of the story, and, and they've been, I think, in, in all of the stories about that. His name is Secretariat, and he's going to beat them all. Have you finished your Christmas shopping yet? Well, if you haven't, then I know some kids who love a mosquito net to help protect them from malaria. Hey, you should get them one. Go to gifts.compassion.com. You're listening to The Bird and the Bee. The song is Carol of the Bells. Coming up here in Chapter 3, uh, we, you'll hear an interview with author John Acuff. He's the author of uh, Stuff Christians Like. It was on our June 11th podcast, and our very own Josh Loveless is the one who talked to him. After that, you'll hear a studio performance by Lisa Gunger. The song is Jesus and John from our June 4th podcast. Interestingly, Lisa wasn't even really going to perform or even supposed to perform. It was Gunger who was in the studio. And at the end of Gunger's uh, session, we said, Now, Lisa, we know you have a solo album. Would you be willing to do a song? She ended up doing this song for us, and it was absolutely phenomenal. It's a great song. Yeah, it's, it's great. After that, you'll hear an interview with Jason Russell uh, from our February 12th podcast, interviewed by Josh Loveless. He's the founder and filmmaker for Invisible Children. And Invisible Children this year uh, won, I think, won in a million dollar grant. Yep. Yep. And I think that's when we talked to him. So They were a little excited. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> it kind of changed things for those guys. Yeah. Uh, but up first, you're going to hear Josh Garrels performing Freedom from our November 12th podcast. Here it is. Yeah. 
Professional or beginner, doesn't matter. Every sin is a prisoner in a body that is subject to time. Now, my entwined mind tries to form a straight line, not like twitched scoliosis of the spinal cord. Construct, cross-eyed carpenters are cutting crooked lines, can't construct. Man-made shrines when the winds in the water move the sands of time. Many minds on a deadline, yet live life like a live wire. I'm not tired. A blood and fire, spirits moving higher than the green grass ever lifted me. Spirits moving higher than anything else ever lifted you. See, we got spirituality that's living in us like a one and three. Injustice is concerning me in a non-linear eternity. I'm speaking paradoxically, but you could nod your head now when you understand me. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is for my free men whose backs won't bend in the lion's den Now with the eyes on the end end This is for my free women who fight with their love the barriers of our children Free men whose backs won't bend in the lion's den Now with the eyes on the end end This is for my free women who fight with their love the barriers of our children We shine like lights exposing what lies underneath decomposing Unearthed old chains that are rusted Oh my god, is that what I trusted in? That's in that tomfoolery uh, what it is is mental jewelry that I adorned myself with. The enemy's gifts, the man-made myths, the ignorant bliss of marijuana spliffs and alcoholic fifths, and I got so sick and tired of it. Delivered and redeemed by Christ, I mean. It's time to start living and get a reason for the rhymes. I don't wanna be dead wrong on the deadline, standing on the dark side and all out of time. Like a blind pen, a mom's fantasized climb up his own ladder through the sunshine. And nothing's mine that hasn't been given. And no one's alive here that hasn't been risen. For 19 years, I was trapped in the prison. Feeling my escape by means of derision. But every man made attempt just failed when trapped in the jail of my own guilt, shame, and iniquity. I was looking for freedom. How'd I find freedom from all of this? He said, believe. He said, believe. Nah, nah. Who are you telling me to believe? He said, I'm your Christ. So I believe.
John, how in the world did you fool a Christian publisher into paying you actual money to write a book making fun of everything ridiculous about Christian subculture? Well, part of, part of, the, part of the way was the platform. I mean, how, how dare I become egotistical when a big part of the reason that publishers even knew I existed was the amount of readers. Yeah. You know, we live in such a niche society right now, like, 30 years ago, there were three magazines. It was like Lifetime and National Geographic. And now there's a thousand different, you know, like East Coast knitter. You know, they're so fractured. So now if you can get a big group of people around one cause, you can get some good attention. So honestly, a big part of the reason publishers even talked to me was that there were, you know, hundreds of thousands of readers. And that gave me at least a foot in the door. Um, I certainly had to hustle once I get in. But a big part of it is just that, it's a wide open market. It's not like here's another, oh great, another Christian satire book. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of room and a lot of unexplored territory. And I was, I was quite frankly really surprised at some of the risks Zondervan was willing to take. So it's been, it's been a real uh, fun experience. Yeah, I, I felt that several times reading it, wondering if Zondervan had actually read it uh, themselves. <laughs> Well, the opening, I mean, the first line of the book is if you buy this book, God will make you rich. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, uh, I loved I'm, it. There's going to be some people that hate me, but that's, I mean, I'm trying to be honest, so. Uh, the people that have interacted with your website, uh, stuffchristianslike.net, um, already have a vibe and a take uh, on you. Do Christians love you or do they hate you? I think, I mean, I, I would like to say the majority is they enjoy what, what I'm doing. I mean, I think there are certainly groups that don't, takes the time to understand what it is. Yeah. I mean, we're all pretty busy. I completely get that. And their initial response is one of defensiveness, just because there's really two ways Christian humor has been expressed. One, it's we're the target and it's mean, or we're the creators and it's kind of cheesy. Yeah. Now, there's certainly been a handful of great Christian artists that have created satire. I'm not a pioneer by any means. I'm not, I'm not original. Um, but I think for the most part, Christianity has been like this whipping boy. And you see it on comedy shows, and it's just such lazy humor. Like, making fun of Christians is just the laziest comedian's trick ever. And so I think a lot of times when somebody goes, hey, there's a satire about Christianity, they immediately think I'm on the outside and I'm poking fun at Christianity. Right. And so I get that reaction. Now the reaction I get is that, like, a great example is I wrote a post about, um, and it's, I put it in the book, judging people who use a table of contents in their Bible. Right. And I said that I rip out mine and make it into a homemade chauffeur horn that I blow for dinner. <laughs> and this this woman thought I was serious. Right. And she was like, how dare you judge people that? Yeah, and yeah. what that reveals to me is that somewhere in her faith walk, she's experienced that degree of you know judgment, and yeah. she expects that to be the case. Sure. So I do get some angry emails about that, and I think that you know some people aren't going to like the book for a variety of reasons. Um, why don't, why don't you give us a few takes from, uh, some of your more recent blog posts or, or even what's in the book, um, maybe even on, on issues like witnessing what, what's, what's your take on, on what Christians, uh, do when it comes to witnessing? Well, one of my personal favorites that I experienced the other day, there's a guy I work with. Uh, I have a full-time IT job. People sometimes think that, like, when you're a Christian author, you just sleep on money. Right. That has not been my experience thus far, um, not entirely. So there's a guy I work with, and I heard a 
great sermon that I thought he would like, and so I totally left it on his desk in a CD when he wasn't at his desk. Right. And so I see him like 50 times a day, but I like essentially staked that, staked him out and like dropped it off there. And he's moving to another state and gave me back the CD with the <laughs> post-it note still on it, like the other day. Wow. And like I know he didn't listen to it, and yeah. so. A lot of what I write about is my own foibles. And so I think that, I think satire is humor with a purpose. And so what I try to do is really my hope is to create a huge mirror for Christianity to look at ourselves and go, wow, that is whack, or wow, that is beautiful. We need to do more of that. And so, like, one for witnessing is just, is the secret of doing that. And then another one I wrote about how do you invite people to church? Like, is it, like, Oh, my friends of graphic design, you've got to come see the production values of this set they're doing. Like, they're doing this Matrix-themed sermon. You'll love it. Oh, and there's God there, too. But come on. So I think we do some, some silly things with witnessing. On the more serious tip, I, I, in the book, talk about how sometimes I think we witness the people using fear because it's easier and it's safer. Like, if I try to witness to you out of love, I have to expose myself and be vulnerable, and you might reject me. But if I try to shame you or you know, kind of use fear as a motivator for you, I don't risk anything. You know, your rejection of my shame doesn't hurt me. Right. And so I talk about that and that sometimes love takes too long and we want to kind of fast forward it with fear. So I think there's a couple different topics about witnessing in the Bible. And the other thing I'd say about witnessing recently, my daughter, my six-year-old found uh, a million-dollar bill in a bathroom rest stop <laughs> in South Carolina, and it was heartbreaking because she really thought she had a million-dollar bill. Of course. And, of course, it was a track, yeah. and I was like, yeah. ah, how do I tell her that? You yeah. know, like, uh, not exactly. Yeah. And why am I letting you pick things off of bathroom floors in South Carolina? It's <laughs> like bigger issue. Spilled in God's name 
again Church was too small so he just threw it all up to chaos and chance And all other lies All other lies And John saw the lies He saw the steeple saw all the people get it wrong I think one of the things that I think about is is your passion seemed to lead the way uh, prior to your education and experience, kind of what you were pointing to a second ago. And I'm, I'm yeah. curious when, when you enter into a space as significant as justice, you know, in a place yeah. like Uganda, um, when you're a couple of white guys from the States, um, how, how you allow education and experience to rise and meet your passion level and and what might happen yeah. in a very short period of time, you know, five to seven years, you know, where, where you make several important decisions as an organization, as leaders about who you want to be personally and what kind of organization you want to be about. You try things, they work, they don't work. Um, I was just curious if there, if there were a couple of moments in the timeline. I mean, one of the moments is that, you know, Oprah is not going to save the day. And, you know, she's an amazing woman and has, you know, obviously millions of fans and does extraordinary things, tells extraordinary stories, but ultimately it's us as a collective human race on this planet that really needs to come together and look at the most vulnerable places in the world and say, you know, Angelina Jolie, the United Nations, Bono, they're not going to, you know, solve these problems. They're going to work towards it, but it's a puzzle piece and we all need to play a part of the puzzle piece. So that's really an, an aha moment when you, you sit back and go, we, we've been in the White House, we've talked to the State Department, we've been in the Pentagon, you know, and as kind of uh, depressing as it sounds, they are not really going to solve this issue. We, um, in this new paradigm, this new generation, um, in, in this very new kind of world, are going to have to decide what we want to do about injustice in the world, about the Joseph Coney's. And, and the Hitlers and the Bashirs in the world who are committing mass atrocities 
we have the power and the ability to stop it and do something about it. And it doesn't always have to be, oh, the UN is so bureaucratic and messed up, or our government is only interested in its, you know, self. Um, those things are all, there's truth in all of that, but what are we as an individual doing? Because like never before in the history of the world, the individual plays a massive role um, with power and influence, and, 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 and that is because of technology and the voice that we've been allowed to have. So that's one. The second one is that um, the stories that you tell um, in the world, the most important story is the one that you're living out in your personal daily life. At the end of the day, when Nelson Mandela or Kurt Cobain or Walt Disney passes away, the truly interesting story and the ones that people remember are the ones about who, how they were, how they engaged with people, how they lived their life, how authentic they were. And so that, that's been an aha moment for, I know myself and others on the staff who say, and we teach our roadies, it is about the authentic relationships you have with each other. Yeah. We can't end a war 6,000 miles away if you can't end a war with someone that you're touring this film to, or you can't end a war with your own mother or your sister. You know, those things are, are what really matters, and finding that authenticity on a personal level um, is really what we strive, strive to do. And that leads me to my final point, which is, I guess, from the beginning, we set out to end the longest running war in Africa and rescue these children who are a part of this rebel group, which we are still committed to doing. Right. But in doing that, I think that when people join this movement and uh, discover these stories, they are as equally rescued um, from the lies and misconceptions that our culture teaches us. And so we didn't realize the important role we would play in teaching, trying to teach a generation to reprioritize their, their thinking. You're listening to Paper Out. The song is In the Bleak Midwinter. Such a hopeful song. Do you think that song was written by someone that lived in Florida? Yeah. Hey, maybe this week. <laughs> hey, uh, for all you northerners up there with your cold and your slush and stuff, uh, you can have it back. Thank you. We've had a couple of freezes this week. Normally we get well, like one a year. We've been down in the 20s a couple of nights. Yeah, I went to bed at like three the other night and I looked at my phone and it was 28. I, I don't know to what bed. to do with that. Half mm. my yard's dead now. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. This tropical vegetation <laughs> needs blankets. You drive that's the funny thing northerners would uh, get a kick out of is you drive around neighborhoods in in uh, in Florida, if it's gonna freeze, people do cover up their plants. Yep. They'll put lights under the blanket to like keep them warm. It's <laughs> it's very festive. <laughs> yeah, it's like we have little greenhouses in our yard. <laughs> Here in the final chapter, uh, you're going to hear an interview with filmmaker Steve Taylor. He's the um, 
kind of the catalyst behind and director of the the movie that's being filmed right now, Blue Like Jazz, the movie. Uh, Ryan Hamm interviewed him for our November 26th podcast. Then you're going to hear a studio performance by House of Heroes. The song is God Save the Foolish Kings from our July 2nd podcast. Uh, man, I'm telling you, it, you know what? If you go to Amazon MP3, the, mm-hmm. the House yeah. of Heroes uh, album Suburba. is one of those albums that they feature at the end of the year saying great music you might have missed. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's cool that they're getting uh, critical acclaim. Man, just looking at this lineup, I can't believe, I mean, we've had quite the year here for the, I mean, everything from Love Drug and Gunger, House of Heroes, uh, Ives the Band, John Mark McMillan, uh, Lisa Gunger, Josh Garrels coming through the studio, and I, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Did you see how hard it was for me to, yeah. to win well, this list down? The, the good thing is that uh, for a limited time, everybody can go download extra tracks online in the podcast section. That's right. Um, and I say for a limited time because coming up in the spring... We're, we're going to be launching a new website, and one of the features is we're adding a lot of um, extra stuff for subscribers to the magazine. One of the things that will only be available to subscribers is the music downloads. Ooh. So putting a premium yeah, on these. Yeah, absolutely, we are. Yeah. So if you if you want to fill your iPod now, you might want to go ahead and do that uh, before, while it's still free. Or hey, you could just subscribe to the magazine and make everybody happy. There you go. There you go. Uh, at the end of the podcast, you're going to hear an interview with Future of Forestry uh, from our July 16th podcast when Elise talked to them. Uh, their Advent Christmas EP 2 just came out, and it is phenomenal, uh, number one. Number two, their travel EPs and the Advent Christmas EP mm-hmm. cover designs. Yeah. Done by our very own Chaz Russo. That's right. One of our, our, our new designers. He joined our team um, maybe six weeks ago. And he, he's done all the future forestry stuff. It's really cool. He's a good guy. <laughs> he's a good guy. I think we'll keep him. His name kind of sounds like mine, which kind of made me resent him at first. Right. But we've come up with a compromise. We will now be referred to as the age of chods. <laughs> no. Yes. Whatever happened to... Renee, um, Renee? Yeah. With the fact, before he joined our <laughs> staff, you were determined that his he would not be known as Chaz Russo, but you were going to call him Renee. That's right. Well, some of us still call him that. Do you really? Yeah. I have his um, his IM name on my computer is uh, Renee. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, but before all that, up first, the first song you're going to hear is by Greg Laswell. The song is Lie to Me, and it's from our December 3rd podcast. Here it is. What am I What else can I say? I'll play dead and you can stay And I'll help you kill your time If you help me kill my night And maybe one day get it right Go ahead and lie to me I'll believe in anything you say tonight lie to me right I love you while I sleep and hide it for another day to find I will not confuse this with something true Only that what gets us through 
But I wander down the line When both of us are fine Yeah, my mind wanders there sometimes Go ahead and lie to me I'll believe in anything you say tonight Go ahead and lie to me Right, I love you while I sleep and hide it for another day to find. I don't mind playing the fool. I don't mind playing. I don't mind playing the fool Go ahead and lie to me Right, I love you while I Lie to me, right? I love you while I sleep and hide it for another day to find. You have people who are my age, I'm in my mid 20s, and you know, our whole readership pretty much is in that, in that age group. And we grew up, right. I mean, with Christian movies that just suck. Like, horrible, horrible stuff yes. that our parents drug us to. Um, yes. Like, right. what is going to make Blue Like Jazz... Like, what's going to make us like it? That's a, that's a great question. I want to give you a, an at least moderately satisfactory answer. <laughs> um, I, I think it started, it started right from the beginning with the writing. Is We really do know where all those traps are. And we worked really hard to not fall into any of them as possible. Mm -hmm. The book gave us a lot of permission to do that to begin with. And then the setting gives us a lot of permission because, you know, when you have a movie set at uh, Greek College, we are assuming that people know that this is not going to be a family movie. And in fact, we are going to be very vocal about the fact that don't come with any preconceived ideas of what this is going to be. Um, and don't bring your little kids to this. This is not a movie for them. This is not a family movie. And in fact, you know, I've got a daughter. We all love things that are good for the whole family. But the thought that faith-friendly and family-friendly are the same thing is absurd. And it's a really bad idea. And so I think number one is we recognize all the places that these kinds of projects can go wrong. And that was topic number one from the beginning, because we have to make sure that this movie doesn't fall into those traps. Right. Um, number two is that the acting typically isn't very good. <laughs> and it's because the script isn't very good. So you can't get good actors because you don't have a good script. And so no actor would, would make one of any of these movies because the movies have no finesse, you know? They have no subtext. The dialogue is, is 
on the nose. And again, a good actor just wouldn't be interested unless you were paying him a lot of money. And of course, in our case, we don't have a lot of money. <laughs> so if we didn't come up with a good script, there's no way we could get a good cast. And we have a great cast. And I can't wait for everybody to see see how good our uh, our cast is. And then, um, uh, even though, you know, just because you don't have a lot of money doesn't mean you can't exercise a reasonable sense of style. You just have to work within your limitations. And so the approach to this movie is more, uh, if I say European, I'm afraid I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to scare people off. But um, Are you trying to say that Blue Like Jazz is the first Christian French New Wave film? <laughs> well, if, you know, let's just say I watched a lot of Godard before we <laughs> made this. Um, it, it's uh, We're working really hard to give it some sense of, of style. And, um, you know, I, I mean, money money is, it's just a reality. When you, when you don't have a lot of money, there are certain things you just can't, you can't afford. And, um, but at the same time, if you got if you got a good story and you've got good actors and you've done your homework on locations and you've done your homework and knowing what you're going to do the day you show up instead of making it up as you go along, you can get a, a reasonably good looking movie despite uh, those limitations. And so, I think and of course hope people will be surprised at what we come up with. Midnight at school on the bleachers Oh, there's gonna be a rumble The lions and the kings And my baby, she cries in her bed And she worries My baby, she prays God save the king oh, you nothing oh we're outcasts only cause we chose to dream we're princes who rather dine with thieves we're honest only cause the truth it cannot hide god save us the foolish kings midnight at the school Let's go. Be a rumble, the cops won't be notified. 
like the spiritual lesson is um even when you're not leading worship that you're trying to convey in your music i don't know it's a funny it's a funny question because when you when you say lesson it's like i usually try and stay away from lessons <laughs> <laughs> because um one of the scary things i realized is as i've gotten older is all the messages and lessons that i had that i felt so adamant about i realized i didn't believe them the same way or they changed or i realized that my perspective changed so I guess if anything that I have to share in a message, it's my life mm -hmm. and, and my my personal experience. And when I share it that way as an experience, it's not telling people you should live this way or this is the absolute truth and you have to believe this or you're going to hell kind of message. It's more like this is this is my experience. And if you relate to that, then this music will reach you. If you don't, hopefully you'll just enjoy the music. Uh, but either way, it's not, um, it's not telling people what they're supposed to believe. It's right. um, it's sharing. Trust me, I can feel what happened. I can hear your dangerous question. Trust me, I can see you want protection. You want protection. For this project, since it's so diverse and unique, and even your sound, like you said, it's it's just very broad. Um, where do you pull your inspiration from? I, I basically pull my inspiration from life. Um, it's never from one thing or another. I I could list off a million different you know lyrics and where they came from. Um, but basically, I collect information from from life and I keep it in my computer or my notebook or wherever I, I write down a thought. I could be talking to you or I could be watching a movie or listening to another song or going on a walk and just having a thought or talking to my wife or anything and just a thought comes that's just like wow that's that's awesome and I'll write it down in my little book hmm. and then when it's time to sit down and write songs sometimes I'll just write from scratch and I'll have things in mind but sometimes I'll just go blank and just pull out that book and look at some of the things that I wanted to write about and then uh, it makes it way, its way into a song.
reason behind um, releasing several EPs and series and things like that rather than pursuing full-length albums? Yeah, it was funny. Um, it was it was actually the record label's idea um, in the beginning. Just um, because they were saying, you know, instead of having like one album come out like every other year or something like that, just even from a marketing perspective, why not put out shorter CDs but more often? And at first I was traumatized by the idea because as an artist, you, you kind of get used to this idea of 11 or 10 songs being your album. And I was like, but you know, six songs, that's not really legitimate. And so I had a hard time with it, but then I started thinking about it, you know, that'd be kind of fun, especially if we did it as a series. And that way I, I only have a, a period of a few months to work on it and then it's out. And so what it ended up being was some very intense writing times. Rather than taking a whole year to write an album, I literally um, wrote six songs and uh, in about you know a week or two and then recorded them in another month or two and then put the album out. And so um, these albums have been really fun for me because they're little snapshots of what, what was going on in my life at that time, little snapshots of my thoughts yeah. and that period of my life. I didn't really have a whole lot of time to dwell on those thoughts. It was just kind of there it was. So I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I'm not sure what's next. I might do a full length after that, but um, it was really fun to do these short EPs and to do three of them. That'll do it for this year's Best Of podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. It's been quite the journey this year. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Jesse rejoined the crew this year, right? Yeah. And uh, we moved studios this year. And a couple we, times. And then we moved back, and then we <laughs> moved again. It's been a lot of fun, and I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Have a great Christmas and a great New Year, and you'll hear from us first week in January. Happy holidays, everyone. See ya. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Listening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. For more, go to relevantmagazine.com Christmas Toys in every store Hey, you know what those Sarah McLaughlin commercials remind me of? An outspoken vegetarian. That, that's got to be the second most therapeutic job right behind Gardner at a church. I like a little, little Wayne. Well, let me tell you, when you're wearing a shirt that has velvet angel wings and has rhinestones all over it that you paid 120 bucks for, they take you serious. Is, is PETA aware that Tiger Woods is not an actual tiger? My name's Carmen. I'm on a horse. Oh, what are you going to do with your license? Oh, I'm getting a jetpack. Like, oh no, they win. I hate hot stuff. You, you have a right to be upset. Here's what I'm going to do. One year subscription irrelevant at half price. But seriously, we need that $500. Well, the thing, the thing about cryptozoology is, you know, most of the time you find out after the fact that this animal probably has supernatural powers. Fill out your census, you little punks. But right now is when America looks up and says, we got this. I'm not letting my country down. I would say that's like a, yeah, like an American suburban bar mitzvah. Welcome to manhood. <sighs> I'm out of here, lady. <laughs> Wait, they have robots with saw blades? You know how difficult it is to, you know, pass a soccer ball around in fourth all game? Not at all, because they do it every time. 
I'm just I'm just impressed with the South Africans' lung power. It's like they it's like before the game they all just go like this. <gasps> I, I'm sorry. I, I'm just not on Twitter because I'm a little lazy. Your excuses are very confusing. Wait till wait till Glenn Beck gets a hold of this one. I would like to offer Ice T and his wife Coco a new position at the Department of Agriculture. Well, let me ask you this: Do you carry handcuffs like I do? Coke at Taco Bell's always been free to me because I order the water cup. Uh, there are several places where you can go, and there's already 200 people dressed as a situation. Just go to a Nickelback concert. Well, you should have said, I think you just set your Twitter to the jerk setting because we didn't need to hear that. If I go to a friend's house and he's cooking some tater tots, bonus. Hot pockets. If you're a competitive shin kicker, I'm sure you have a cane. <laughs> hey, guys, guess what? The new Harry Potter is coming out. <laughs> Chocolate blue. Yeah. Watch the little hooligan fornicators. Larry falters with the foot fault. Need a good laugh? Listen to what I said again.